0: In place of the sermon today is the State of the Parish Church Address delivered to the St. Anselm congregation by the Rev. Sean S. Templeton, MDiv, on January 22nd in the year of our Lord, 2023. It is my privilege and honor to stand before you as the first rector of St. Anselm Anglican Church, and give the State of the Parish address today. Exactly ten years ago, the Reverend Gene Sherman and I met in his office on a snowy January day, much like today I might add, and began seriously discussing the possibility of an Anglican congregation in Lakewood. We envisioned a new church that would serve people different than Christ Church West Shore, where we were then It would reach the closer inner western suburbs and maybe even into Cleveland itself. It would probably embody the high church traditions of its founding priest and laity. But most of all, it would often and once again, always rather, and once again, proclaim the gospel once delivered to the saints that had been watered down or lost in Lakewood to form a faithful, gospel-centered, orthodox church, to serve those Anglican faithful alienated from their wayward congregations, and to once again shine the light of Christ into the darkness. This was our purpose on that day. We put together a humble plan, a seven-year plan of forming a parish Ambitious in its timeline and humble in its construction. As the assistant rector, I would begin forming a fellowship of the faithful and begin holding regular prayer meetings, Bible studies, and public events. Well, here we meet again on a snowy January day, some 10 years later, and some 70 people more and growing as a parish church. Isn't God great? Indeed. Perhaps you don't realize just what it is that God has wrought from our humble beginnings in those exploratory meetings. It's not easy to plant a church. Some have reckoned that as high as 80% of those planted fail. There are many hazards to a young congregation too. Some mentioned in St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians that was read today, including division, overly influential personalities, confusion about the gospel. But there are others too, burnout, moral scandal, financial impropriety, smothering or inefficient or insufficient structures. Adopting methods that work in other contexts, but not our own, just to name a few. There are so many that books are written about all the mistakes one can make to kill new churches. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 15, we read, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. There are also many books written by people who have trodden the same road as we together now. Whether in the Mediterranean cities of the Roman Empire, the rocky hills of England, the burgeoning farmland of the old American Northwest Territory, or building and building missions and parish churches is never easy. And those books testify to that. As the founding priest, I have always found books, particularly old ones, to be some of my best friends in giving encouragement and advice. Many of those old friends are upstairs on my shelves. Some of you have seen them in my office or outside it. Most are from priests that have gone on to the church triumphant. Some of those priests were my actual mentors, others I never met beyond the notes of their books. Sometimes, those notes, sometimes for me, the notes in those books are the most important part of the book because they speak to the heart. When I open a worn cover and see an inscription like to the Reverend Samuel Marks from Mr. Peter's Christmas 1870, I'm reminded of the, the church Catholic stretching throughout all time. I also find myself humbled to be part of such an organization and called by God to a dearly beloved and preserved by God institution throughout the centuries. I find myself chastened in my own duty by the truth expressed by Sir Isaac Newton. If I have seen further than others, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. In thought, tradition, and most importantly the gospel, dear friends, truly we stand on the shoulders of others and truly we have a goodly inheritance. As the old King James Bible records, our boundaries have fallen in pleasant places. What does this have to do with the current state and future of St. Anselm? You might be asking. Why are we talking about the old when we're merely a year old, you might be thinking? Yet while the institution, the seal, the name, and the particular parish church is new, the objectives that we are engaged in are very, very old. Ancient, in fact. We are building a parish church, not to be confused with other things. We are building a parish church. We're not building a mega church. We're not building a satellite campus. We're not building a monastery. We're not even building a program driven church where large scale events and projects capture capture the imagination and concentrate the effort of the congregation. We're not nearly so exciting. But oh, we are exciting in what we accomplish throughout the years. We're not building an evangelism association. We're not building a rescue mission or a university. We are not building a performance arts center or a counseling service or the local chapter of a political party or a golf club. We're building a parish church. We're not building a place to come and get your spiritual fix once a week, or worse, once a month. We're not building a place to affirm you in your affections, or your sentiments, or your desires, or a place to pique your interest on a subject, or overly concerned about how you feel about community. We're not an organization designed exclusively to provide services to the poor, or to rescue people from addiction, Or to campaign for social change. Once again, we are not those things because we are a parish church. But while this defines what we're not, what does it mean to be a parish church? Well, among many things, it means creating a building, a people, a culture that embody and convey the following four things. Number one, a parish church is a holy place. The parish church is deeply attached to a specific land, place, and people. To be a parish church means to sit at the center of the geographical boundaries of a parish, which is a region. In the United States, the congregation gets to define what their parish is and those boundaries. A parish church is or at least is a spiritual center for the geography around it, a light to its community. While it may draw from beyond the parish's boundaries, its worship and ministry are focused within those boundaries. From the center, it shines forth the gospel in word and deed. The sound of its bells tolling remind people that God is ever-present throughout their workday and in their homes. Its steeple points to the heavens where Jesus ascended and to the reality of where we will all be one day in him. Its processions through the neighborhoods remind the neighborhood that Christians are still here and are still praying for them and are still here to help them find God and walk with them in the service of Jesus Christ. Its walls sit on redeemed ground, hallowed by consecration itself. It's a place where God's presence and protection has been called down by the anointing of a bishop and regularly sanctified by the preaching of God's word and the celebrating of his sacraments, as well as the adoration and prayers of his people. Do not be surprised when you or other people enter into a parish church and feel at peace, or as if you've entered into another world, for you have. The point is the most important point in the four distinctives or traits of a parish church, and that is that God is here. God meets us here. God is present here in the word and sacrament in a parish church. The parish church, secondly, is a stable place. The parish church is a place of sanctuary and stability for its members as well as for people visiting it from all different walks of life. It should be conservative in nature, just as family rituals around the holidays are constant and handed down. Predictability is something we all need from childhood onward. Psychologists tell us this is true, but we've seen it for much longer. After all, what is variation without theme? And there is plenty of variation in the world. In a parish church, the liturg- liturgy's boundaries are fixed by the prayer book. The governance is fixed by canon law. Teaching is fixed by the catechism. Preaching by the historic interpretation of the wider Church, all based on the unchanging words of Scripture. Music by the Psalter and the hymnal. Ritual by the priest's manuals. Far from quenching the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, all of these things actually help it continue. They shape our desires, our affections, and our imaginations. It's It properly shapes our impression of God so that when he calls, as we heard in our gospel today, we hear him and we respond. It brings eternal truths given in God's holy writ into our daily lives, so as to see that our daily rhythms at home are an integral part of the parish church's worship. For example, we cross ourselves at church and at home. We use the book of common prayer for holy communion, but we also use it for our daily prayers. Each one shapes the other. The world around us is full of change, and fads come and go, and things shift around, but the church stands strong and stable in the midst of them. It's a place that does not seek or even care about the approval of the world. It does not need to try to be relevant. So long as it adheres to the eternal principles and the author of life itself, Jesus Christ, it is by definition relevant. So as it adheres to eternal principles and the author of life, it continues from age to age. Do not look to the parish church for contemporary message music or worship its prayer book is some 400 years old some of its music is 5 to 600 years old its liturgies traditions and creeds are around 1800 years old and the message of man's sinfulness and god's ongoing rebellion or god and man's ongoing rebellion rather and god's enduring love and salvation are thousands of years old beyond even that the parish church remains stable and steadfast, proclaiming the gospel and administering the sacraments to her spiritually formed, faithful people as a place of refuge and constancy. The parish church is a place of commitment. The parish church is a place of continually giving of one's self, not taking and consuming not being served, but rather serving. Parish churches are not places of fleeting association or cheap relationships with little cost, but rather are places of eternal vows in our common advancement towards God's call to be Christians fashioned in the image of Jesus Christ. It's volunteers, not paid staff, who run Sunday school. It's volunteers, who read to you the lessons, who administer to you the sacraments aside from myself, who run small groups, who teach, who set up the altar each week, who put on events and organize things like the annual meeting today. Our membership is made of volunteers doing the work of the parish, just as we do the work of the liturgy. If you don't do it, it doesn't happen. Let me say that again. If you don't do it, it doesn't happen, dear friends. We are not a program-driven church with a staff, and we never will be because we are a parish church. Our membership entrance rites are full of commitments and vows as are other liturgies. For example, we vow to do all in our power to support men and women coming together in holy matrimony as we did in the two weddings this year. We make vows as a congregation to do all in our power, to raise newborn babies, to know and love Jesus, entering the kingdom of God. Parents and godparents make vows on behalf of the baptized. Sponsors acknowledge their vows for the confirmants. Vestry members, priests, deacons, and bishops make vows to adhere to God's word in the service of his flock. And as if that isn't enough, We have periodic renewals of our vows too. Like back a few weeks ago in the renewal of our baptism vows where I came through and sprinkled you with holy water just to make sure you got the point. Yes, on the Easter vigil it happens again and in Trinity Sunday. Each of these, each week on top of these represents, or rather we represent ourselves to God and he represents his commitment to us in bread and wine at the altar eternal commitment to god and each other as a spiritual family is the center of every parish church eternal commitment which gives accountability and also gives encouragement in our deepest times of distress from even before the birth, from even before birth After death, when we're in our caskets, we are held in vows of love within the hearts of the members of the parish church. We pray for those expecting on Mothering Sunday. and We remember those dearly departed on All Souls Day and every Sunday in the prayers of the people. Parish churches are also committed, though, to the world outside of themselves. The parish church is committed to helping those outside its walls, but within its geographic parish boundaries, caring for the poor, both in spirit and resource, comforting the afflicted and the suffering, bringing clarity to the confounded, ministering to the vulnerable, lonely and unloved. This, too, is the commitment of the parish church. The vow of the parish church to the wider community to not be for ourselves only, but for the good of those around us. To be Christ to our neighbors, to obey the Great Commission. The parish church's commitment to the good of those in its wider parish embodies the story of the star thrower. Have you heard that story before? It's a beautiful short story by... In the book, Unexpected Universe by Lauren Isley, perhaps you know it. It goes like this. A young girl was walking along a beach upon which thousands of starfish had been washed up during a terrible storm. When she came to each starfish, she would pick it up and throw it back into the ocean. People watched with amusement. She had been doing this for some time when a man approached her and said, little girl, Why are you doing this? Look at this beach. You can't save all these starfish. You can't begin to make a difference. The girl seemed crushed, suddenly deflated. But after a moment, she bent down, picked up another starfish, and hurled it as far as she could into the ocean. Then she looked up at the man and replied, Well, I made a difference to that one. The old man looked at the girl inquisitively and thought about what she had done. Inspired, he joined the little girl in throwing starfish back into the sea, and soon others joined and all the starfish were saved. Be it evangelism or benevolence, the parish church's efforts might seem like the efforts of a little girl on a massive beach. But their commitment to the area, to the parish, for the advancement of the gospel and the faithful proclamation of God's love is like the little girl's efforts it makes a difference every difference to the person that they reach and inspires others too the parish church is a place of vows and commitment and finally the parish church is a nurturing place the aforementioned three traits of the parish church all contribute to this one and just in case they're not clear in your memory The the former ones are a place of holiness, a place of stability, and a place of commitment. All of these come together to create a place that earns people's trust and allows for nurture. Places that care best for individuals are most often parish churches as opposed to other models, though it's not guaranteed. Like families, parish churches can become healthy or dysfunctional. Depending on the leadership or each member, the leadership and each member must embody the church's traits. while a lack of reverence, excuse me, while a lack of reverence, prayer, and devotion doesn't void holiness or God's presence, it certainly can keep others from experiencing it. This can in turn can turn the parish church, into more like a secular club or a charity. I was once told of a priest at a parish in Ohio, I won't name the name, who got so frustrated with his congregation's lack of reverence and concern for God's holiness that one day he came in, walked up the altar to the church and hung his golf club on the altar cross behind the altar. Well, even that parish was aghast at this lack of reverence and holiness. And he turned to them and said, "Start acting more like a church and less of a country cl- like a country club, and I'll take the golf club down." His point was made. There's another pitfall, however. The leadership of a parish church needs to provide stability, not chasing new methods, new styles or new strategies every year. A church becomes trustworthy and unable to nurture when it's unsteady and unstable. Think about it. Would you wanna invest in a place that doesn't know its own mind or be vulnerable to those who you don't trust to lead you? You might think that it's just like the rest of the world, exhaustively unreliable. The parish church needs to strive to not be like the rest of the world. If a parish church does not give of itself, also, it's a fraud, and people know it. To paraphrase St. John in his epistle, how can you say that you love God and hate your brother? Lastly, if a parish church does not have commitment to its own membership, who's going to be nurtured? What person would trust his spouse if she repeatedly did not love or cherish him, forsaking all others? What child feels loved if those who are supposed to care for her don't spend time with her? You and I now have been working for years to build a place that is holy, stable, committed, and nurturing. And by God's grace and your dedication, I believe that God has made St. Anselm a place that embodies all four of those qualities some of them more developed, some of them more nascent, but all four of them. But it becomes increasingly difficult to keep these as a parish culture at the forefront as the years go by and as people come and go and as the parish church grows. Like family stories and traditions, we need to welcome other people, new people, into these things to communicate them well to newcomers, as well as to our children, not just in word, but in deed. It's not easy, but it is possible. The the good news is that while parish church culture isn't easily built, it's also not easily destroyed. When I traveled to England, I had the privilege of worshiping in some of the great cathedrals of Anglicanism. In chapels like Cambridge and Oxford, and in small parish churches. My favorite were, you guessed it, the parish churches. Sometimes they were the size of this room or half the size of this room. But there they were in the midst of countrysides, in little city neighborhoods, faithfully serving those around them. They reminded me of the one where I was baptized, Christ Church in Huron. One that I was particularly fascinated with was a larger one called St. Peter and Paul's in Leavenham, England. It's a beautiful parish outside the middle, in the middle of the countryside. It just springs up from the hills. There's nothing around it, except its graveyard. The oldest parts of it date back to the 1400s. As we walked in, it was evident that it was still a lively living house of prayer. Prayer candles burned as we walked up to the altar on that cold January day. In that place, people had adored, thanked, and beseeched God for at least 600 years. Think about that for a minute. For at least 600 years. How many generations of baptisms had occurred on that, at that font? How many had supped together at that communion rail when added all together over those 600 years? As I walked down the nave, I thought, these stones have seen darn near everything. They've seen people praying and beseeching God on behalf of loved ones in the midst of the Black Plague. This was more than history. The walls and the ground were soaked up by preaching and prayer of the faithful alike now in the church triumphant who had left this legacy for me to walk through as a parish." church what a privilege we have today dear friends to be the beginning of such a legacy to be the place that we build where people think I was baptized at that font and so were my brother and sister we communed with God at that altar rail three generations as a family I met my future spouse there in that nave and we later stood up there at that altar and exchanged vows. We baptized our child here, or perhaps even we said goodbye to a dearly beloved part of our family there. How many have knelt and will kneel at the place that we build? The place, the people, and the institution. What a privilege, again, we have To be the beginning of such a legacy. To be the beginning of a lively faith of generations yet to come. What humble beginnings will God cause to prosper and flourish long after you and I are gone? Dating from Roman times, that formidable tradition, the parish church is 1700 years old. And it's still going strong. It's the tradition in which we walk today. It's the tradition in which we'll continue to walk. And St. Anselm will never likely grow quickly or grow large, but it will grow deep, extending its roots together to be a place of permanency and faith for those yet to come. We, friends, have been called here at St. Anselm To be part of that legacy, to be the beginning of that legacy in Lakewood, Ohio, to be a church that nurtures people here now and yet to come. May St. Anselm be a parish that endures the ages. May St. Anselm be a parish church that feeds its people, adheres to the gospel and provides a refuge, a place of respite to those who so direly need the presence of God. May God grant it, for we are about it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.